Welcome to Sweeping the Country one more time. Here with me today, my co-host, Mr. Jimmy Carter. And this is a vault episode that we kind of went back and forth about. I mean, this is a strange guy. No, this is the weirdest one. It is uh, with Steven Seagal, the former movie star that had a lot of action movies, had some really good ones. Yeah, I agree. Under Siege, I think, is a great movie. I love that movie. And I liked uh, Above the Law, which was the first one that he did that got recognized. That was very, very good. I could watch that again. And then there were some others that were okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they kind of got into a formula and kind of got into a rut. But where we're going to go here, this is not for everybody. Uh, I don't think Steven Seagal is for – if you know him, if you have liked his movies, that's one thing. If you know about him as a person, that's another thing. He lives in Russia now. he is a citizen, I believe, of Russia. That's right. Yes, he is. He was made a citizen and of Serbia. Russia. Yeah. I thought he was someone that was uh, an operations person for our government at some point. Maybe he was. Gosh, that's deep. Uh, maybe yeah. he wasn't. There's there's a whole bunch of mystery, not BS, but real mystery about this guy. I would agree. I yeah. think he, uh, you know, I think he did have some things that he did in his probably late 20s and 30s, uh, private security in the Far East and things like that. Uh, who knows what he did? Mm-hmm. But if you want to, if you care about him, you'll read about him. And let's just get going with this. We we sat down in 1992, one of the first times, and we're just talking about uh, the fact that he was, a, he was a martial arts person that some big shots in Hollywood were using as a trainer. Mm-hmm. And they thought he had a chance at you know, being a movie back star. A little bit earlier in your career, you were kind of the reluctant okay. movie star, really. This was not like the first priority for your life. You were doing other things with it. And you kind of said, okay, I'll try this. Uh, are you very happy now when you're on a movie set? Is that maybe some of the happiest places you go? We do have a lot of good times on the movie sets. I don't know if happy is the right word I would choose. I'm very grateful that God has given me the opportunity to bring people happiness and joy and uh, you see it when you go all, all around the world people you know get very happy when they see a movie star and when they see your films some of them do anyway so for me I, I would say that you know happiness is a thing that we all experience once in a while but gratitude is something we can have all the time mm-hmm. your spirituality has certainly increased were you always a very spiritual person maybe that hasn't really grown completely yet maybe it was maybe held down a little bit well, I think that even, you know, in the higher stages of enlightenment, you know, there's always growing taking place. Uh, that's my humble guess anyway. I think I've always been very spiritual. I just kind of kept it to myself. Mm-hmm. You know, being a, a movie star comes with a lot of territory, and we've certainly had nothing but discussion in the last few weeks about all the things that go with it. It's a tricky road, this publicity thing putting your lives out in front of a camera, putting yourself in a movie. Do you uh, think about that a lot, about how destructive it can be to your life or how it bothers you sometimes? Well, one cannot help think about it on a daily basis because, you know, as well as, you know, receiving the many blessings that uh, the film business, when you're successful, can bring you, you also inherit many uh, hardships that create great suffering. And particularly when you're somebody who is a spiritual man or a quiet man or a family man or a private man, you know, all of those things are violated on a daily basis. Do you ever get scared? Um, Fear is not, you know, uh, something that I have to struggle with as much as most people. 
Because it can be dangerous being a public figure as well. We've seen that before. Yeah, I mean, that's not one of the things I can complain about is fear. I may be uncomfortable. I may be frustrated. I might be unhappy. I may feel as though it's um, you know, stifling me or any one of many things. But fear is not something I usually feel. Have you ever felt that your privacy was invaded? Oh, every day. Every day. I mean, people stalking you in parking lots and just that. They want your picture. What is it they want, do you think, from you? They want you Sometimes, doing something bad, maybe? or Well, I mean, you know, everybody wants something. Sometimes they want to make a lot of money off you. That's the most common thing. Mm -hmm. And the way they do that is by getting a picture and making something up. You know, uh, you had an affair with one of the sheep on the ranch or, you know, one of the ugly girls that, you know, is better looking than the sheep. or They'll make up anything. It's just, okay. you know. Uh, sometimes they want your mind, sometimes they want your body, sometimes they want your reputation, but usually uh, it boils down to jealousy, vindictiveness, greed. I mean, is there anything we can do about this since we live in a country that we, the First Amendment is the First Amendment and it gets abused every hour on the hour, yeah, but I mean, do you want to see more laws as, a, as someone in your position or what? I don't have the answer to that. All I can tell you is our forefathers did not create the Constitution so that people could invade the privacy and personal lives of other people, make up horrible, vicious lies about them and print them and sell them for a lot of money, which is what most of the tabloid folks do now. And in fact, uh, publications that people are calling legitimate now are now succumbing to the same kind of nonsense. Uh, we could certainly try to make some of that criminal it's the only way that we could ever get people to be responsible is if they have to start going to jail. Do you feel like you're going into another second part, maybe another chapter in your career now? I know you're going to try to produce, and you've already directed, but you're going to try to take more control of your career and maybe some of the business aspects of it? Well, it's sort of a daily, uh, daily struggle, you know, to try to ensure the quality of what you're doing, you know. You know, do you get frustrated that people expect you to be in certain kind of movie? and that you would like to try to do some other things, comedy or anything else, but it doesn't seem to work for a lot of people, but people seem to want to put a square peg in a square hole, and they like you one way. Well, uh, you know, once again, that's another daily struggle, is trying to, you know, expand uh, the horizon of the kinds of films I'd like to make. Uh, I've not wanted to make just action films for a long time. I'm breaking away from the people who've controlled me, and now I'm able to start to make different kinds of films. I notice you've put, a little, you've put more of a message. Uh, you know, really all your films have had a message, though. It's either been government, it's been something since the very beginning. You've always had that subliminal message, and maybe even more overt in the last couple. Right. That make you, that kind of cuts down whether or not you're just doing a play no action film. You've always been a little bit more than that anyway. Thank I you. I think. I think so, too, but most people miss that. But. I mean, because if that wasn't a message in the first film, Above the Law, which I still think maybe is my favorite one, uh, they didn't get it. I mean, there was lots of messages in there. There sure was. A lot of folks didn't get it, but there a lot of real, real stuff there. So where do you think Steven Seagal will be 10 years from now? <laughs> Up in the Himalayas in a cave, probably. <laughs> <laughs> think you'll be doing this? I have no idea. Whatever I can do to bring people joy and ease the suffering of others is what I'd like to be able to do. That's a nice thing to be able to do with, with a little bit of power and a little bit of money, isn't it? To be able to do good things. That's my great desire. That's a good admission. Fire Down Below. When you look at all the different movies, do you look at them like chapters in a book? Some are good chapters, some are bad chapters, some are more fun than others. Are you too close to this one now to really put some perspective on it? 
I don't know if I'm too close. I think it's probably the best work I've done. I think it's the best film I've been in. And uh, I like the message. I like it more than chapters of the book of being able to get up to bat. You know, you just need a chance. And sometimes you hit a home run and sometimes you strike out. But, you know, because we're all human, nobody can hit a home run every time. But the fact of the matter is you've got to get up there and swing. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing that I've always loved about the critics. They're people who traditionally have never been up to bat, but they love to sit back and say bad things about people. Uh, the fact of the matter is that you know, every human being should be able to have aspirations and dreams and at least try to fulfill them, whether he's failed or not. God bless him for trying, and I think that's really important. Have you noticed about a lot of critics, they don't seem to like action movies. I've noticed that since I've been in this business. They seem to really pick, my favorite films are action movies. I'm not sure what that says about me, but they don't seem to generally, very rarely do they ever even dare like one. Well, it's a humorous. It's you know the critics are in general very, very timid, you know, cowardly people who, you know, get this sort of false sense of you know machismo and strength because they think that they can annihilate anybody, and it is easy to attack action films uh, because they also generally have stars who have this macho image, and of course that's naturally you know that maybe they were the bully that beat them up in school. Exactly. That's the you know first kind of person they want to go after but I mean interestingly enough you know to do good action is just as hard as doing good acting oh, no and, question they, about it. and they can happen in the same film does it make you feel a little better or maybe looking give you a little hope for the future that someone who is as typecast as they can be Sylvester Stallone who really has never been we never been to see what he can do acting wise he was in the movie Copland and he's fantastic I always knew he could do it, but I mean, he is being able to break away from that Rocky Rambo mold a little bit and do something with a De Niro and those kind of people. Is that, you've thought about, you noticed that? Well, I haven't seen Copland. I mean, I find it, you know, one of the most hilarious things that I've ever heard in my life when people come up to me and say, well, he got fat for the movie because he wanted people to take him serious. And, you know, they think that, you know, uh, you know somebody has to gain weight, you know, and, and be fat for a movie. Well, you could put on a, a purple wig and a dress or get fat or skinny. It doesn't matter. You know, the way you get people to take you serious is by finding a great piece, great property with a great character, and then being able to perform in it, you know, in a great way. And, uh, you know, certainly that's something that almost every actor uh, who has any brains wants to do. But every actor seems to have that problem. You know, Mel uh, Gibson's had to fight with the studio in order to do Hamlet. He's had to fight with him and had, he almost lost the battle to do Braveheart. That was a real struggle to get that movie made. Uh, that's why I'm trying to leave the studio system. I am leaving it. That's why Mel left. That's why, you know, all the people who care about the kind of quality that they're doing, you know, do not want to be, uh, you know, living a life where somebody's foot on their head the whole time. But you will do action movies. You're just not sure. going to do every, every movie. is not going to be an action movie. That's right. Now, we cut back to 1988. This is when he was promoting his movie Above the Law. He had had no hits at this point. Yeah. He had just had this movie Above the Law that he wrote. And so I remember we went to Atlanta, and they gave me a lot of time to talk to him. And I'd read about him you know, being a very accomplished uh, martial arts person and that, you know, what did he want to do uh, with his career and all of that. So this is for all the geeks that love Steven Seagal. Away we go. Well, Steven, congratulations, first of all. You look like a real natural in the movies. Was that natural for you to be an actor? 
Well, I think if it looked natural to you, you know, I mean, uh, that's probably the answer. Yeah, uh, I try not to act, mm -hmm. you know. I think uh, the most important thing in acting is to not act, you know. When you got out there the first day, I mean, was it the same performance you gave, you know, 30 days later? Did you get into the groove a little bit? Well, I think, you know, I, I looked at every foot and every inch of the dailies and tried to study my performance every day. So uh, I, I, tr I hope that, uh, you know, a as in any craft, I, I hope that I got a little bit better as we went along as, as I think, you know, anybody who really works hard to perfect their craft does, mm -hmm. you know. But you picked up the self-confidence a little bit more probably as it went on? Mm, or no, not really? I don't think so. I think, you know, I went in there with the same attitude that I finished with, hmm. you know. Your background is anything but a struggling actor. That's true. Uh, you know, people try their whole life to get a gig in Hollywood that have started out in theater and worked their way up. And then, did Hollywood find you, or did you find Hollywood? Well, I think Hollywood found me. And I mean, I don't want to give anybody the impression that I didn't work hard to uh, to come into this situation. But at the same time, I mean. Uh, this is the most difficult thing for me to talk about because I could make something up that would sound better. The truth is just too hard to believe for everybody. But I guess the truth of the matter is that uh, the president of Warner Brothers was a friend of mine and, and he had been very interested in me as an actor for a long time. He felt that I was very charismatic and that I had a look. And uh, I was interested in writing, uh, but you know I hadn't really uh, considered, you know, acting as, you know, something that I could really do the starring thing. I just, you know, it never occurred to me that I could pull this off. And, um, but the reason that I decided to do it, I mean, there were several, but uh, one of the ones was that uh, a few of my closest friends, you know, at the, uh, that are pretty much high up in Hollywood had been saying, and you've really got the look, and you've got the charisma, and you've got this, and you've got that. And for years, I'd be walking into a restaurant or somewhere, and people come up to me and say, what have I seen you in? Or, I enjoy your work, you know, or you were great in this. You know. And I could never understand why. And I started to try to put the pieces together, and I thought, well, let's give it a try, you know. I guess you kind of have to. If you're living out there and people are trying to get you in, you've got to do it. Was it easy writing for you? You knew the story up in your head, but putting the words down? Yeah, I think writing, you know, I mean, I was really lucky in the sense that Terry said, okay, we're going to let you put this together the way you want. I picked the director I wanted, uh, picked the writers I wanted, and, uh, you know, we sat down and we did it. Uh, like I said, if this film turns out bad, it's all my fault, you know. <laughs> and if it turns out good, it's all your fault. Uh, you have a definite opinion about violence in films. Now, there is violence in this movie because it's a police story and it's a, a violent story. But you have a thing about gratuitous violence. You think violence really has to fit, right? Well, I think, you know, more than that, story has to exist. And I think in a lot of the action films, there's just no story. You know, just no story. You know, a story to me has a beginning, a middle, an end. It's about something that people care about. It has sympathetic characters that are deep characters, mm -hmm. you know, that are human. And... Uh, they're not cardboard. And I think once you have all that with a good structure, good characters, good story, then if, if, if the story uh, pertains to uh, any kind of emotion at all that, that would relate to action and violence, it'll organically grow up from it. 
Uh, gratuitous violence to me is uh, usually the resort of those that don't have a story and they just want to rely on mindless entertainment, which is something that I don't want to do. And I think that in this film, uh, just because there is action doesn't take away from the story or it shouldn't. You know, a lot of times if a film has a lot of action and people will tend to look at it as only an action film. Well, this film, as I think you'll agree, Jimmy, has a lot of a, a story that people are real concerned about uh, in current affairs today. It, it, it's about something that people are very concerned about. And I think if you took the action out of this film, it, you know, it would still stand on its own. And um, I don't think that it's fair that because a film has action in it, it doesn't uh, get any of the acclaim that it normally would. I think uh, if you took the action out of this film and it was just story, it would really, from a lot of the critics, get you know really wonderful critical acclaim. You know, uh, but even even the academies and uh, you know awards and and critics, uh, they all tend to think that if a film has action in it, it can't have a story. And I disagree. Yeah, and martial arts gets a bad rap, too, because it has been exploited in some movies <clears throat> before. Well, this film, as you know, has nothing to do with the martial arts, and uh, no more than uh, Three Days of the Condor or Marathon Man. You know, there's a little bit of martial arts in it because that's something that I happen to know. But um, I, too, must agree with you. I think the bad rap is appropriate. I think that uh, just about every martial art film I've ever seen has been uh, impalatable. It's just like a cartoon. Yeah, they are a cartoon. I mean, they're they're disgusting. I mean, uh, for me, I I think that the martial arts is something of a uh, you know, wonderful substance with a great amount of philosophy and spiritual essence, and uh, not something to be exploited. And uh, I think that uh, never yet has anybody really portrayed the martial arts properly in film. Uh, you know, Kurosawa has with Redbeard, uh, Seventh Samurai, Yojimbo. Those are all great martial arts films, but they're people stories. They're stories about people and the human dilemma. You know. Well, give me the Cliff Notes version or the short version of this. What's above the law is about here. Give me the plot line. Um, well, you know what it's about. It's about the CIA's involvement with uh, narcotics trafficking for the purpose of funding covert operations. Uh, starts out in Vietnam with Nico uh, being uh, involved in an interrogation which he thinks is over military intelligence. He's surprised to find out that um, this is really over the location of large quantities of missing opium and he then uh, starts to discover that there's a major narcotics network over there that's funding all of the covert operations. He becomes disillusioned and he quits comes back to the United States to his own hometown and just decides to become a cop. In the process of being a cop, he uh, gets involved with he, what he thinks is a routine coke bust. He climbs the ladder and comes across the same people that he knew in Vietnam trafficking the uh, opium and heroin are now involved in South and Central America with the cocaine. And uh, that's they, they, you know, they, they don't want him around because they know that he knows, and they decide that they're going to have to try to terminate him, and uh, they don't get away with it. All right. You know, one time we talked about Washington politics. I felt like he had an inside loop Ooh, into gosh. what was going on, you know, that if there was, <laughs> that... if there was monkey business in elections or anything like that, I felt like, I felt like he just new things maybe he did jimmy uh, i mean maybe that i mean honestly maybe that's what we didn't know about him is that he did know things i, I don't know i don't know he's a, he's an interesting guy and very mysterious
very mysterious. And was he an agency person for real? Hmm, Did he boy. cross over and go back and go to Russia after he had already been on the other side? Uh, is he double agent? I mean, I'm sure Putin would have figured that out by now yeah, if he right, was. Right. But who knows? This is just the most mysterious star in Hollywood history, Steven Seagal. Now, the controversial, the frightening part of this movie is that it could very well have uh, some truth involved with the uh, CIA is supposedly has used uh, covert operations to uh, with drugs to raise money for their for their operations. That's true. Well, I mean, you know, uh, you, you know, it's it's been in the news an awful lot with Nodiega and I think with uh, Ali North uh, and uh, the Iran Contra hearings. Uh, you know, I think that that, that a lot of that was. Uh, uh, about you know uh, cocaine funding the, the the contras, even though that didn't come up in the hearings. Uh, uh, I was saying earlier, some people stood up with a sign and said, "Ask him about the cocaine money." Naturally, they didn't, but that was the most important thing, mm. you know, which was an outrage that they didn't. Uh, it's the same with the thing with Noriega. You know, people are saying he's been on the CIA payroll for 20 years. Well, figure it out if he's if he's been on the CIA payroll. Who put him there? And uh, you know, who's he been working for? You know. Well, believability, I think, really is the, is the key to this movie, and that's why I liked it so much. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Now, I've got all kinds of things written down. You you went to Japan at a relatively early age, but you're from uh, the Midwest? Detroit, yeah. What's the story about going to Japan when you were small? Well, I'd, you know, I'd been interested in the martial arts uh, from childhood. I'd seen uh, the martial arts uh, demonstrated when I was young. And, I always had a dream to be able to go over to the Far East and study, and uh, by the time I was 17, 18, I just went over there and ended up staying. And you became uh, really involved with martial arts more than just a passing interest. Oh yeah, I became the first uh, non-Oriental uh, to teach over there in the history of Japan, and I taught over there for a long time. How was that? How did that happen, though? I would think their culture would be so against uh, an outsider doing that, unless they just really respected you, which I guess they did. Well, you know, I mean, for, you know, I used to use the term white boy, which is, you know, not a, a very good term. I mean, for a non-Oriental a non uh, to teach them their arts, sure. I mean, that was an outrage to them, and they can be very xenophobic and ethnocentric people. But at the same time, you know, the nice thing about it was that after a couple of years of uh, them trying to, or some of them trying to disgrace me or discredit me or beat me in one way or another, by the time I had, uh, you know, withstood all that, they came around to respect me a great deal, I think, most of them anyway. Do you still uh, almost daily practice your craft? Yeah. I mean, on this tour, I haven't had time to <laughs> mm -hmm. do anything, but yeah. Is it something you have to keep up? Like anything Absolutely. Else? Absolutely. You know, the mental part as well as the physical part. Absolutely. You were a bodyguard uh, and a security specialist a little bit. Give me what, is, what exactly would you describe a security specialist as being for someone? I think uh, it, it could be many, many things from, you know, planning field operations to somebody who goes out into the field, carries a gun, and, uh, you know, stands in front of people. You know, but for me, the more interesting part was to get together with my team and uh, do the planning of the operations, you know, and uh, all of the different uh, procedures involved in uh, creating a safe uh, entrance and ex exit of a principal or whatever, you know. Did you uh, get involved with that while you were in Japan? Absolutely. Were you drafted by an agency or someone that wanted to uh, take, take advantage of your 
fact that you were an American and a martial artist and uh, someone who may have known the country? Something like that, Something yeah. like that. So that makes, again, this movie is all the more uh, reason to say it's believable. Absolutely. You have a lot of uh, facts in here. It's, it's a very believable film. What would people at, uh, say, the agency, if they saw this film, what would they think about it? You're talking about the CIA? The CIA? Or either security agencies right now. Um, would they look at it and say, well, that's pretty good? Or would they be mad? Well, that's a good question. Um, I think some people are going to be very mad, and uh, some of the agents are going to say, hey, right on, yeah, <laughs> good job. Is that mainly because of the speech about above the law? No, I, I don't think so. I think that there are some speeches in this film that, that say things that are that I've never seen said in film that uh, I think will piss the people off that uh, you know, are very, very high up. But I think you know, your average uh, field agents and case people are going to... Well, most of those guys are going to be entertained by it and think it was fun to watch. You know, people in this country, we have a central intelligence agency. I think we all have an idea what the FBI guys are like and even Secret Service people and some of the Treasury folks and that kind of thing. But the CIA still is a very unknown, kind of a dark uh, agency, to say the least. In your experience, if you've ever, if you're assuming that, you know, you have met a lot of these people overseas, are they like regular guys like anybody else, or are they just someone who is, uh, are they patriots? Well, it used to be, people? used to be, you know, when I was first in Japan, most of the guys that I knew in the CIA were all World War II veterans, and they were all officers. And officers, for me, you know, were sort of uh, men of a different cloth, you know. A, a good officer was really, you know, somebody who was well-trained, well-disciplined, and uh, knew how to carry himself in the field. And the guys that I knew were uh, very intelligent, very patriotic, hardworking, uh, you know, articulate, talented people that, that could get out in the field. Nobody would know who they were, and they could do their job. And they were ethical people, good people, most of the guys that I knew then. Um, you're Jimmy Carter. When Jimmy Carter came in uh, to power as president, uh, there was a point where a bunch of case officers were pulled out of the field, and all of a sudden, after that point, the CIA seemed to really change, and some of the guys that were coming into the Far East after that seemed very, very different to me. They were, I don't know if they were, you know, recruited at West Point or what, but uh, there's two different kinds of CIA agents, you know. I mean, actually, there are several different kinds, but one kind is a kind of person who, you know, you drop them into any country anywhere, and, and they'll be able to adapt and get along and, and survive. And uh, there's another kind, you know, who might be a West Point graduate and might be brilliant at, at, at certain things, but uh, you can drop him into Paris and he couldn't buy a banana. You know what I mean? Uh, so I kind of felt that after Jimmy Carter, uh, the, the, the kind of CIA agents that, that I started to come to know were real different, you know, not... I, I, and this is just my personal observation, I seem to miss the, uh, the ethics, the, uh, you know, I mean, when I say patriotic, you know, we all, uh, not all of us, but most of us love our country, and that's why we're doing what we think we can to make the country a better place. Uh, you know, some of the, the, old, the old guys, you know, uh, they did become disillusioned, and uh, in fact, most of the guys I know did, but 
even so, they didn't try to do anything to hurt anybody, you know, and they were very ethical, is what I'm really trying to say. And a lot of the younger guys that I, that I noticed coming in, they didn't seem to really have the same kind of ethics anymore. They were sort of a different breed, you know, young, brash, uh, no talent, a lot of them uh, just, you know, uh, really awkward in their, you know, the way they were moving around, a little bit uh, like a, a bull in a china shop sometimes. That was just my limited experience with a few of the guys I know. Let's assume, and uh, I'm, I really feel confident this is going to be a very successful movie. What do you see as a second story? Are you going to write it and go through the whole uh, routine again? or I, I, I wrote something uh, I've been working on for a couple of years now that uh, I'd like to do next that uh, we didn't quite finish writing, and uh, well, there's now a writer's strike. As soon as that's over, we'll just polish it off and turn it in. Um, it's something that I'm real excited about that uh, I'll probably do with Warner's next. I have a deal. Uh, with Warner's on it, and it's a real exciting story. And some people have said that you know Warner Brothers likes you because they want you to be the next, because uh, Charles Bronson and Clint Eastwood are getting a little old, and they want you to be the next uh, Charles Bronson and Clint Eastwood. That's not a bad group of guys to follow, is it? Well, I've, you know, I've been a Clint Eastwood fan because I think that he's kind of got this, you know, wonder way, wonderful way of you know acting without acting. Uh, I, I'm a little bit, uh, you know. Uh, it puts me in a bad spot to be compared to Clint because, uh, you know, he's a legend in his own time and I'm sort of a, you know, pissant, you know, trying to come up the ladder here. But um, <laughs> I, I really, at this point in time, you know, am hoping that uh, I can go beyond being compared to people like that and that people will say, Steven Seagal, he's, you know, he has his own, you know, way of talking and looking and that I'm going to get my own niche in there and uh, be, you know, unique. Well, you certainly are. I wasn't implying that you weren't. I'm just saying that there are some shoes to be filled out there, and I hope you're one of the guys that does it. Well, that's very nice. Right, well, thank you a lot. Really enjoyed your movie. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. I mean, honestly, a mysterious, bizarre. Um, he was a great. He was really was a good action star. I mean, the guy. You know, they train a lot of people in Hollywood to do the martial arts, but he actually was the guy that trained the people. <laughs> you know, so I mean, he was good. He was Chuck Norris good to me. Yeah, he was Chuck Norris good in a different style. Yeah. Totally. Aikido, I think, was his style. But God, was he yeah. bizarre. If you really want to do some digging, just start Googling Steven Seagal and you will read oh, yeah. so much about him. This is a side today that we I, I didn't even know anything about. So it was great to get to know him before he did what he did, whatever that is. Um, he's into music. The guy plays he, guitar. Yeah. <laughs> he was he was in this movie Fire Down Below where he sang yeah. and considered himself to be sort of a, a musician didn't and he, singer. Didn't he record and, with Stevie Wonder at one time or he played on yeah. this? <laughs> I mean he's I'm worked with he's by done that. he's just done so many things and it's just so I just when I found out he went over to Russia and became a citizen yeah. and all that stuff after knowing what I thought he had done on the American side of the fence. And in the Far East, it's just strange. Yeah, I don't I agree. know what to think about this. Guy. I agree. I mean, Stephen Seagal, Jimmy, thanks for introducing him to everybody and this enlightening topic. And Stephen Seagal, love him or hate him, I mean, he's an interesting guy. He is a Rubik's Cube. Indeed. Indeed. That'll do it for us today on The Vault. Remember, next week, tune in again. We'll have another star all lined up for you. Until then, I'm Derek Walker. He is... I'm Jimmy Carter. Good day. Good day.